This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee. Thanks for joining us today. Today, I'm really excited because we're going to be talking with board-certified veterinary oncologist, Dr. Craig Clifford. He's an oncologist at Hope Veterinary Specialist. We'll be right back after these messages. Do you own a pet care business? Do you need help training and retaining your staff? Fetch Find Monthly Pro is the perfect platform for you. Fetch Find Monthly Pro is a monthly subscription with unlimited users, no contracts, and fresh content every week. With increased employee engagement, higher customer satisfaction, and lower risk and liability, Fetch Find Monthly Pro pays for itself. And you can completely customize the training materials based on your company's needs. Head over to www.fetchfind.com to learn more and subscribe today. That's F-E-T-C-H-F-I-N-D.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. ER vet on Pet Life Radio. With us now is Dr. Craig Clifford, who's a board-certified veterinary oncologist at Hope Veterinary Specialist, and he's also the director of clinical studies for Hope Veterinary Specialist. Dr. Clifford, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Justine. Excited to be here. So I know you focus mostly on oncology, which is cancer, and I wanted to talk a little bit about cancer because unfortunately, I end up diagnosing this quite a bit in the emergency room or in the specialty clinic. Now, we see a lot of dogs presenting to the ER for cancer, and why is that? Why is it classically an emergency by the time it comes in? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think part of it has to do with we are certainly seeing more cancer in pets. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that we have much better veterinarians, better techniques, better tools, better modalities for testing them. And we have much better owners that are very vigilant. And for many owners, you know, their pets are their children. So they will literally do anything for these. So we are finding it now that we have much better housekeeping of our pets, that the owners are coming in and and noticing things and knowing the fact that we have many more ability of having ER clinics around. They're coming in through the ER if their veterinarian isn't present. So I think part of it has to do with we know that any older dog or older cat, cancer is probably the most common cause of death in them. So it is very prevalent. So we're seeing more of it. And now that we have many more veterinary clinics that are available, especially 24-7, we're seeing them more on the ER as well. It's so frustrating. I just lost both of my cats who are 19 and 13 to cancer and totally agree. It's the number one killer of both dogs and cats at this point. Now in the emergency room, one of the most common types of cancers that I see in older dog is something called hemangiosarcoma. And because of that, it's my most hated type of cancer because it's oftentimes a really sudden diagnosis and a huge shock for the pet owner. What signs can be seen with this specific type of cancer in dogs? And is there anything owners can look out for? 
Yeah. So first of all, I am sorry to hear about your pets. I know how much they mean to you, and I'm sure you are an amazing mom. And certainly 19 years is a long time, Justine. So you Thanks. did a good job. You did a good job. But, you know, in regards to hemangiosarcoma, you know, we actually call that disease the silent killer because of the fact that dogs really show no overt signs before coming in through the ER. So to take a step back, you know, when we talk about cancer, we break it down into three big groups or categories. And one of these categories are called sarcomas, which are cancers of deep tissue. And usually they get their name from the tissue they come from. So in this case, this is a cancer of blood vessels. And the way I always conceptualize this cancer is that it's kind of like a water balloon. So the balloon is the cancer and the water is the blood. So we know that one of the most common organs this grows off of is the spleen. So if we think about a water balloon that gets too big, eventually it's going to break. And when it does, it ruptures. And that's what leads these patients to coming into ER. So is there anything pet owners can do to try to prevent it, whether or not it's doing annual exams? Like, would you find it on x-rays or blood work or ultrasound? What do you recommend for pet owners to be able to hopefully prevent this? Yeah, that's a great question as well, because the the challenge with this disease is that it grows very quickly. So there is no perfect way to find it early. Now, certainly, I think good routine wellness exams where your veterinarian is assessing them. And then if it's an older dog, especially knowing that this likes to occur in certain breeds, such as German Shepherd, Golden Retriever, Labrador Retriever, when we have a dog that is middle to older age, making sure that maybe we start to have exams twice a year and looking at routine blood work on these guys. Because what we'll often see is before they have a major bleed where the balloon breaks, the tumor breaks, causing them to come through ER, they may often have slight bleeds where what the owner knows is at home is we seem a little more tired, something along those lines. So certainly in those cases, if the owner sees anything and is in tune with the dog and knowing it's a breed we can see it in, they may go to the veterinarian earlier to get blood work done. That might give us an idea that there's something going on. Now, in terms of when I see hemangiosarcoma, it's usually, again, like you said, with the water balloon that ruptures, it's internal bleeding. So it's really subtle signs of having really pale gums or acting lethargic or just not being able to get up, maybe vomiting or having difficulty breathing. Are there any other signs that you would look for in a cat or dog to be able to know when to go into the emergency room in the middle of the night? Yes, certainly. I think that many of these cases are going to collapse because if they have a bleed, you know, most of the blood's going to be pooling in the belly and not necessarily within their vessels. So they're not going to be able to get the blood they need to. So many of these cases will literally collapse. It could be going to the food bowl. It could be outside. But the owner all of a sudden sees the dog doesn't want to get up, doesn't want to do anything. And again, as you mentioned, checking the gums. If the gums look very, very pale, then clearly they need to be able to go in. Plus, many owners can lay their hand on the dog's chest and check for the heart rate. You know, a normal heart rate for a dog could be anywhere from 90 to 130. If all of a sudden they're feeling a very, very rapid heart rate, that might give us a concern that something is going on. Great information. Last episode, we actually talked about what signs to look for to bring your dog into the ER, your cat into the ER, even if it's in the middle of the night. And so again, collapse, pale gums, difficulty breathing, vomiting, all of these are classic signs that we can see sometimes associated with cancer. Now, when I talk to an owner and I'm worried about hemangiosarcoma, oftentimes I'll do a rapid ultrasound or even chest x-rays. I'll do blood work to look for anemia. Once we have a suspicion that there may be cancer in the spleen, what's the prognosis? What do we do? Do we take them to surgery? Do we hospitalize them for blood transfusions? How do we know how much to do for our dogs? 
Yeah, I think part of that depends upon how the patient presents and certainly the owner. I think that if we find that through doing an ultrasound, we don't see any obvious evidence of spread, you know, then usually that's going to be a patient that our, our priority is going to be someone like you, the ER physician, is going to be the one who's going to be stabilizing the patient. And then the question becomes, if we do not find it's anywhere else with the results of our other staging, such as, say, a full abdominal ultrasound and chest x-rays, which might be done the next morning or would be done then, depending upon the facility. If we find it's nowhere else, then we do talk to the owner about going in for surgery because this is not a disease that's going to go away on its own. They may stop bleeding for a period of time, but they will start up again. And the only way to stop that is to go to surgery, which on some level is life-saving for these patients. So the frustrating thing is, how do we truly diagnose if it's hemangiosarcoma, aggressive type of cancer, versus something like a hematoma? Yeah, so the literature certainly suggests, we used to have a two-thirds rule that, you know, if we find a mass in the spleen, two-thirds of them are malignant, of which two-thirds are hemangio. More so what has come out through the uh, emergency literature is if there is what we call a hemoabdomen, so there's blood in the abdomen and there's a, an abdominal mass, there's about an 80% chance it's going to be malignant. And that's where we need to sit down and talk with the owner because for some owners, that may be all it takes for them to not go further. And some owners may say, well, I have a 20% chance that this could be something benign. So although those are the numbers that come out, I really hate the idea of ultrasound, you know, telling us that we should or shouldn't try to save the dog's life. But we also have to take finances into account. As you're well aware, you know, an exploratory surgery, the blood transfusion and all of that for these patients is not insignificant. So once I actually counsel an owner and say, you know, we're going to go to surgery or we're going to do X, Y, and Z, a lot of pet owners will actually ask me about chemotherapy. And I think a lot of people are scared of chemo because they've known a human or a friend that's had chemo where they've lost all their hair, they have a lot of side effects. Do you mind just talking a little bit about how we actually go about doing chemotherapy in dogs and cats and what the side effects are? Yes, certainly. You know, this is something that I have to go through every single day because when I mention the big word chemotherapy, most owners get wide and bright and understandably so, I think, because for most of us, our only true experience with this is we've seen a friend, a loved one, a family member, or for some people, they've had personal experience. And the way I try to describe it is, you know, a person doses up at the ceiling. So if you look up at the ceiling, you know, on a basic level, you're almost killing the person to kill the cancer. When we treat animals, the dose intensity we use is about two-thirds that of what a person receives. So as a result of that, generally, we see a significantly different lower risk of side effects. Generally in people, depending upon the drugs being utilized, anywhere from 60 to 80% may have side effects. In my hands, it probably sits at somewhere between 10 to 20%. Now, the reason that side effects occur is the goal of chemotherapy is to kill growing cells. And the fastest growing cell in a patient with cancer is the cancer. So that's who it selectively kills. But the reason why we see side effects is that within our body, a few types of cells grow continually. For us, you and I, our hair grows rapidly, so we lose our hair. For the vast majority of dogs, this doesn't happen. As we're all well aware, if we don't groom our dog, they don't turn into a hippie. So the vast majority of dogs, other than the small, fast-growing hair dogs, will not lose anything. White blood cells grow. And for us, our white blood cells drop precipitously low. 40% of the time, we're predisposed to infection. The risk of that in dogs is 4%. 
And the final cells are those that line the inside of the stomach and the intestines. So when I'm giving a drug I think may upset the belly, we'll send home anti-nausea or anti-diarrhea medication, and it mitigates the risk to less than 7%. Great. Do you mind just talking a little bit about the cost of chemotherapy? How often do dogs or cats have to go in? Is it you know once a day, once a week, once a month? And if you can just give a ballpark of what the cost is associated with chemotherapy. Yeah, so chemotherapy is dose based upon body weight. So that's where somebody with a chihuahua certainly is going to come off better than someone who has, you know, a great Dane. So part of it is dose based upon those lines. And, you know, the frequency and the protocol depends upon the cancer. So just like in physician based oncology, some cancers such as the bloodborne cancers like lymphoma, which we'll be talking about, they've received chemotherapy on a weekly basis, once a week for X number of weeks, and then a week of rest, and then they start over. And that's called the cycle. For more solid cancers, say such as hemangiosarcoma, it's an injection that is given on a once every two to three week basis. Everything is done on an outpatient side where they come in, we draw blood work, do an exam, we calculate a dose, we treat and they go home. So literally the pet and the owner is only here generally for about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And the cost themselves, you know, I think it depends upon the size of the dog, but say we're treating hemangiosarcoma probably per dose with the drug we use called doxorubicin, including the exam and the blood work and everything, probably about $450 a treatment. So clearly it's not inexpensive, but we're not looking at thousands and thousands of dollars per visit. All right. And then one other topic I wanted to ask, I know there are a couple of holistic options that are available for people who decide not to pursue chemotherapy or even surgery. When it comes to hemangiosarcoma, I know there's certain types of holistic medications that may help with the clotting. There's one specific mushroom out there and there's a newer research study called EBAT at University of Minnesota. And I was wondering if you just wouldn't mind touching on those three different types of medications or options out there. Yeah, so we have a a couple of different things that we have available, one of which is some of the alternative medicine products. You brought up an alternative medicine called Yunnanbayo, which is very old, utilized during the Korean War, which is supposed to help with bleeding. And it is a, a combination of different herbs that are placed together, and it's thought to have an impact in bleeding. We don't really have any great studies in dogs to demonstrate whether it works. Clearly, we don't think that there is any downside to being able to utilize it, but we don't know how much it truly helps. Where there is a small bit of data is in the second product you talked about, which is an extract from a mushroom called polysaccharopeptide. And the compound itself is given the name Immunity. And Immunity has been looked at. And I give this company credit because one of the challenges as a scientist myself that we have with many of the holistic or alternative medications is they have no data behind them. Meaning when I sit down with an owner and I go through how a patient is going to do, that's based upon multiple studies of dogs. With many of the alternative medicine, we have very little. But the immunity was looked at in a very small number of dogs with hemangiosarcoma where they had surgery and then went on to either a low dose, a moderate dose, or a high dose. And they found the dogs that received the high dose of the immunity, there was an improvement in their survival versus dogs that had only surgery. The downside was each group only had five dogs. So as you can imagine, that's not a ton of cases. The University of Pennsylvania right now is in the process of a larger study, so we'll be very interested to hear that come out. There are a number of groups that are looking at this disease to evaluate some of the genetic abnormalities with it and then create essentially smart drugs. 
or create monoclonal antibodies, which are proteins that bind to the cancer and allow the immune system to go after it. So a number of different groups, including Minnesota, are looking at something that is different about the cancer that we can then exploit, smart drugs that will target the cancer. And unlike chemotherapy, which is a shotgun, this is more directed at the tumor itself. Is that what EBAT is? Yes. Great. Thank you. All right. So thank you so much for that great information. Again, this is a really common cancer, hemangiosarcoma, that I end up seeing in dogs in the emergency room. And sadly, I almost see one case a day. And so a really common cancer. Let's go ahead and take a short break. We'll continue with a really important topic right after these messages from our sponsors. malnourished and emaciated. Constant scratching and just being unpleasant. He was shedding excessively. He was losing his fur. Franklin was rescued from the streets of Los Angeles. Bear was a rescue from the same shelter in Kansas City, Missouri that I got J.J. the Terrier. I found his raw meat diet, which is raw meat, eggs, rice, and Dinovite and Licko Chops. His omega-3 supplement on Dinovite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. I've got my ground beef, the Dynavite, and I just mix it all together with the eggs and the shells. Franklin, he's thriving. His coat is soft and shiny. He's shedding much less. They're much happier. Their coats are better. Their behavior, especially their behavior, is better. How do you feed your shelter dog to derive a great attitude? Start that little pet off right. 859-428-1000. 859-428-1000. Just go to Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm interviewing Dr. Craig Clifford, board-certified veterinary oncologist. We just finished talking about hemangiosarcoma, a pretty aggressive type of cancer that causes internal bleeding in dogs. I also wanted to talk about another common type of cancer I see presenting in the emergency room in both dogs and cats, and this is lymphoma. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about this specific type of cancer. Do they see it in human medicine? And what's the overall prognosis in dogs versus cats that are diagnosed with this type of cancer? Sure. So lymphoma is probably the most common cancer that myself as a medical oncologist will see. It's a cancer of the immune system and specifically it's a cancer of lymphocytes. And as we're well aware, lymphocytes are cells of the immune system designed to fight off infection. When these become cancerous, it's given the term lymphoma or lymphosarcoma. The term is interchangeable. Generally, lymphoma in dogs is similar to what we see in people and it's called non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And in dogs, they tend to present with enlarged external lymph nodes. So usually it's a happy, healthy dog. Owners petting them and they feel a lump. They go in to see the veterinarian. The veterinarian astutely realizes that the lump is a lymph node. They then aspirate it and we obtain our diagnosis. So on the positive side, most dogs with lymphoma present clinically healthy and that makes their prognosis tremendously better than those dogs that come in sick. When they come in, we do routine staging to see how advanced the disease is and to see specifically what type of lymphoma they may have, as that plays a role not only in their prognosis, but their treatment. 
The good thing with lymphoma is that generally it is very, very chemotherapy responsive with 70 to 90% of dogs responding and going into remission. And we tend to say if a dog has all good indicators, the average survival is at least a year and a half. If they have all bad indicators, it may only be six months and a dog that's somewhere in between will be between those two numbers. But the most important thing is I think it's our most treatable cancer, and during the time period they're being treated, and we'll go into this more in the next section, their quality of life is excellent. Now, where that's different than cats is that unfortunately, cats present with a gastrointestinal form, so it's inside their abdomen, so we don't find this form by accident. These cats always come in clinical, so because they come in clinical, come in ill, it does make it more challenging to treat them, and unfortunately, because of that, we know that this leads to lower response rates in cats, so instead of the 70 to 90% we see in dogs, it is only about... 50%. If they respond, they may be able to live a year, but only half of them are going to respond. And that's one of the challenges that we have. So we don't do quite as well in cats. And I think it's because we don't catch it early enough in them. I always tell cat owners, it's not their fault because cats don't show signs until it's so severe. And I always tell the story that, you know, when you see a cat, they all of a sudden just start hiding. It's just like a lion in the wild. They don't show their signs until it's really, really end stage because they don't want someone else taking over in the pride. And so again, for you cat owners out there, don't feel guilty. You know, unfortunately with cancer, we don't oftentimes see clinical signs until it's really late, even if it was my own dog or my own cat. So that's my little hint for dog and cat owners. Don't feel guilty about missing a diagnosis of cancer. Now, in terms of lymphosarcoma or lymphoma, I know that a lot of pet owners will elect to do chemotherapy. And I always recommend consulting with a board-certified veterinary oncologist. Even just making an appointment is a really important way of being able to talk to an oncologist. It doesn't necessarily commit you to, you know, having to finish the whole course of chemotherapy, but I do think it's really important just so you can be the best pet advocate and get cutting edge information and updates from board certified specialists specifically who do this every single day. Now, when it comes to lymphoma in dogs and cats, is there any specific test or blood test that we can do that can help pick it up sooner? Or is there any population of ages or breeds that get lymphoma more commonly? So generally, lymphoma is going to be also male to older age dogs, and certainly the purebreds are overrepresented, so we we know that kind of going in. I think the benefit certainly for dogs is the fact that usually it's the owner is going to pick it up, or they're there for their routine wellness exam, and the veterinarian picks up an enlarged lymph node. So the easiest way to diagnose lymphoma is generally going to be through aspirating a lymph node, since most dogs present with multifocal enlargement of their lymph nodes, where cats is a little more challenging is that since they come in clinical, they may come in for weight loss. They may come in for not eating as well or come in for vomiting. Now, all of you that have cats know that half of the cats will vomit once or twice a month just through hairballs. So it's hard to pick out, is it just that? And as Justine mentioned, the real challenge in cats is generally an older cat, you know, you're going to see that they may lose weight over time. So usually a lot of times, a lot of these things, at least initially are attributed to, well, the cat's a little older, maybe it's a result of that versus say dogs where our hands are on them all the time. And they're certainly much more active where we could pick out something like say exercise intolerance, which is very difficult in a cat that sleeps 20 out of 24 hours anyway. The last thing I wanted to touch on is if you don't have an oncologist in your area, 
What's a good resource for being able to talk to your veterinarian about getting a referral to someone who could do chemotherapy? So that's a great question. Certainly, we know that there are a, a number of good websites. There's a pet med that's listed there. There are also many of the oncology services, and ours included, do phone consults where the owner can have all of the information sent. The oncologist goes through it, and then we'll talk to the owners on the phone. Some of the other things that can be done for certainly the veterinarian is the veterinarian can have access through information through the veterinary information network where they can pose a case to a variety of specialists and then they can provide them information. And then finally for veterinarians, they can also, if say a biopsy or cytology was done, many of the pathology companies will have an oncologist that is on staff that is designed to be there to talk with them. And then they can relay this information to the owner. But you're right, for an owner that's a far distance, sometimes that can be challenging. And that's why us and many others have set up phone consults that are good for the owner. Thank you. Fantastic information. Again, really frustrating that I see so many diagnoses of cancer in the veterinary ER, but really important if you ever notice that your dog or your cat has difficulty breathing, has abnormal lumps or swellings on their body that you hadn't picked up before, if they have acute collapse, if they're really, really lethargic and listless and not wanting to eat or move, these oftentimes can be signs of cancer. So when in doubt, get to your veterinarian or your emergency veterinarian right away. And really important, if your dog is diagnosed or your cat is diagnosed with cancer, remember it's not necessarily a death sentence immediately. When in doubt, consult with your veterinarian or better yet, a board-certified veterinary specialist so you can discuss what your options are. Again, take that time to make an appointment with an oncologist because they can talk to you about some of the studies that are out there, what your options are, and counsel you on what best to do. Again, just making an appointment doesn't necessarily commit you to having to do chemo. You can talk to the oncologist about that. And Dr. Clifford, I know that you're the Director of Clinical Studies for Hope Veterinary Specialists, and I was wondering if you can give us a little bit more information on how people could find more information on clinical studies that are out there right now. Yeah, so the AVMA, which is the governing body of all veterinarians, has actually created a clinical trial database. So literally owners can type in clinical trials and AVMA, American Veterinary Medical Association, and they will then be able to evaluate and look. They can type in based upon type of cancer. They can type in based upon disease, say it's diabetes, say it's something orthopedic. So all of those are there and they'll be able to see what studies are going on across the country. And that then allows them to certainly go ahead and look at what is in their area. And then they can certainly reach out because, you know, we know that dogs and cats for many different diseases in people, they actually serve as models for the disease. So as a result of that, knowing that the disease is very similar between the two species, we are able to have very well-funded and often fully funded clinical trials that provide a benefit to the pet, certainly by a new novel therapy, provide a benefit to the owner because of the fact that it's fully funded and also provide a benefit on some level back to people because the information that is gained from these studies may go on to help physician-based therapy as well. Thank you so much. Again, great information. I also recommend that you have your veterinarian contact a veterinary oncologist or go to vetcancersociety.org. A lot of great information out there. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Find me at drjustinelee.com, on Facebook at Dr. Justine Lee, 
or email me any of your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time, but we wanted to give a huge thank you to Dr. Craig Clifford, board-certified veterinary oncologist, for all he does to save dogs and cats out there with cancer. And, of course, to Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. We'll see you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. 